steadfastness, gentleness. He encouraged Timothy in those things because he knew that it was not going to be easy. That in this calling of pastor, there were going to be difficult, difficult days, but he was to take hold of the eternal life to which he was called, knowing that this church was worth it. And I will tell you that this church, this church needs you to fight the good fight of faith. There will be times when you're tempted to be discontent. In those times, be steadfast. Persevere. Have faith. And lastly, I want to read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, where Paul says this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. I selected this last passage because like Paul did here, we need you to make much of Jesus and humbly point to him. As you come to this stage, I want you to relax. Because we don't need you to be our saved. We recognize that role belongs to Jesus Christ. Point us to him. Be authentic as you do. And may we recognize that although you are called to be above reproach, that you are not the unblemished lamb of God that died for our sins. May God's grace overflow in you with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He has judged you faithful and appointed you to his service. Make much of him. And with that, I'm going to have Jeremy come on up here on the stage. And Brian, if you want to follow him up. As, uh, the elders have some questions that we'd like for Jeremy to answer there before he gets started in his service please. Jeremy, I'm going to read you these questions. <coughs> Do you promise to be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or a drunkard, but hospitable, a lover of good, upright, holy, and disciplined. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a pastor, whether personal or relational, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to work with exemplary godliness before this congregation? And lastly, will you take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as one who will give account to God, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Harvest Point Community Church will be blessed? Put it through the gauntlet, don't we? <laughs> don't want to cross pageant. This is this is we just want you to see that we're taking this very seriously. And I know Jeremy does too. That's why we're doing this. And you guys have a little gauntlet I'm going to put you through too here in just a minute. Um, that's because this is a two-way relationship that we're forming here with Jeremy, not just not just um, him coming to to like like uh, we said earlier. He's not our savior, like Patrick said. He's not going to be the one who fixes all of our problems, but. Um, it's a relationship where we are here to serve him too and his family and, and they get served us. So it's going to be more than just giving gifts, which is great. You guys have really poured out the gifts to him and thank you for doing that and to, to his family. Um, but there's going to be more to it. So um, just like we just heard, the calling that God puts on a pastor and a pastor elder is waiting. And we are going to be held accountable to God, not just for our personal stewardship of his gifts and not just for how we steward our families but also how we represent the great shepherd in our care for you. So please, don't ever stop praying for Jeremy in this role. That load can be very heavy at times. But we can take a huge weight off of that right now, just by the way that we conduct ourselves as a church in the future years. So we want to follow Jeremy's challenges with a few for us, as a church of God, that God has called together to live together, life together. So two things that stood out to me uh, that we can strive for that's going to make Jeremy's job uh, a lot easier is going to make it a joy here. And that's love and unity. And we are on, I know Jerry didn't know we were doing this, but we're all wearing these black t-shirts. This is one sign that we are uh, unified in our mission to love God and love people. But um, how do we practice this in, in more than just uh, practical ways? How do we love one another? So here's a good starting point that I'm going to share with you from Ephesians 4. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And he continues 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So these are some examples of loving each other. And if we're going to love each other this way, as a church, we're going to have to have um, supernatural help to do this. And unity is going to flow from that kind of love, but it's not something that comes naturally to us, right? We're fallen humans. So we don't always do really good at this, do we? We, we need help. We have room to grow here. So at the last supper with his disciples... Jesus was praying his prayer for his disciples and for the church, for the future church, which includes us. So this is our prayer together. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, Jesus was praying. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so, notice in the prayer, what he's saying is that as we operate this way, the world watches and the world sees, and that's how they know that we are um, empowered by something more than ourselves. So this is our charge as a church, receiving Jeremy as an under-shepherd who serves under the great shepherd, that we love him, and that we love each other, and we fight. We fight hard for unity. We pray for it, and we strive for it. Patrick, when I was preparing this, pointed out to me a helpful article um, that was given like what a new pastor might wish for when he starts a new church, and concluded with this great quote that I wanted to pass on to you guys. He says, unity in the church is so important that the New Testament gives more attention to that than to either heaven or hell. God deeply desires that we experience oneness and harmony with each other. Unity is the soul of fellowship. Destroy it, and you're ripping the heart out of Christ's body. So we need. Nothing on earth is more valuable to God than His church. He paid the highest price for it, and he wants it protected, especially from the devastating damage that's caused by division, conflict, and disharmony. If you are part of God's family, it's your responsibility to protect the unity of where you fellowship. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So that doesn't mean you just toss that out the window when somebody offends you. Make every effort. Go back and make every effort to keep the unity. Then he gives us six suggestions for how we can protect the unity of the church. These are practical examples. Number one, focus on what we have in common, not on our differences. We're going to hear from Jeremy. What we have in common is primarily the gospel. Be realistic in your expectations. Number three, choose to encourage rather than to criticize. It's a choice we make. Number four, refuse to listen to gossip. Five, practice God's method of conflict resolution. That's referring to the three-step process in Matthew 18. And number six, support your pastors and leaders. And he wraps it up with this challenge that I'm going to pass on to you. We challenge you to accept your responsibility to protect and promote the unity of this church. Put your full effort into it, and God will be pleased. It will not always be easy. Sometimes you will have to do what is best for the body and not for yourself. Showing preference to others. That's one reason God puts us in a church family, to learn unselfishness. So it's your responsibility to protect the unity of this church. So like we did with Jeremy, I'm going to read just three charges to you who are called to be members, partners of this church. So if you accept these charges, uh, you can respond with the uh, response that shows on the screen. Church, do you, partners of Harvest Point Community Church, acknowledge and publicly receive Jeremy Todd as a gift of Christ to this church. We do. Will you honor the integrity of this office by protecting him from slander and gossip and urging others to respond biblically when concerns arise? We And will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and supporting in him leadership to which the Lord has called him, to the glory and honor of God. Amen. Amen. I tell you, it is such an honor to partner with you, knowing each one of you, it's an honor to partner with you in this church.
Well, we have a very nice surprise for you this morning, because not only are we excited to receive Jeremy and Leslie and Brian here as part of our church family, but the church that they've been a part of has uh, prepared a very encouraging video committing us, committing them to us. And when I first saw it, I mean, it, it tore me up. So let's watch this together. You're going to enjoy this. So I've known Leslie for, for a long time. I'm a long-time friend of the family for over 20 years. Leslie, growing up, she moved into her high school years, and being a student pastor, she stepped into my youth group. In that youth group, I became a close friend of hers, and also got a front row seat to watch her develop her faith and, and go through, through life. Leslie went off to college, and she found a guy named Jeremy. She eventually brought him home, and uh, Jeremy knows a good thing when he finds it. So he, he proposed. She said yes. And I had uh, the joy of preparing them for marriage. It was a lot of fun for me to stay in touch with them as they uh, were involved in different churches, different ministries. Their, their marriage was material. And as life would happen, they moved back to the Memphis area and eventually came to Living Hope, where I'm the small groups pastor. We were able to plug in with a small group that loved us and cared for us, that we didn't have to leave, that we could just be ourselves and um, and grow and be transparent and raw. That kind of became our theme, I guess, transparency, um, as we discovered who we were um, and not who we felt we had to be for the first time, I think, in our married lives and in ministry in particular. And the Lord is really using, using that time to just um, help us to get a better grasp for where He had us to be next and um, what He's called us to do. Um, so we're very excited um, to be taking this new step in ministry. We weren't alone in the journey. Even sometimes early on, they felt that way. Our small group was able to gather around us and they, they cried with us, they prayed with us, and then ultimately they were able to celebrate with us um, as the Lord has has just clearly made it known to us that He's calling us to Harvest Point Community Church. The opportunity is just enormous for us to, to really plug into the community, um, to love and to serve, and really just to, to do. At Living Hope, we strive to create a safe place within our small groups, a place where meaningful friendships can be formed, a place where there's transparency and, and even vulnerability, and a place where spiritual growth and spiritual challenge can take place. I'm not really sure that I thought it would be possible, but having walked with Jerry and Leslie in our small group over these past months, I've become an even bigger fan. It's so awesome to know that God put us together for that season of life and each of us being able to, uh, to speak truth into the lives of each other. Hey, Harvest Point, my name is Greg Gibson, and I serve as the pastor of preaching and vision at Living Hope Church in Piperton, Tennessee. A couple of years ago, Jeremy and Leslie and Brian landed here as they were transitioning out of the season of pastoral ministry. Over the past couple of years, I've had the privilege of serving as their pastor, and, uh, working alongside them, seeing the Lord heal them and restore them in many ways, and preparing them for what was next. And so it's with great delight that we've heard that you've called him to serve as your pastor, and you have welcomed he and Leslie and Brian to your church family. We are elated as a church body to commission them and to send them to you. Uh, with full assurance that the Lord is in this. He has a great vision and a future for your church there. We look forward to many years to come to hear how God is growing your body and 
using Jeremy and preaching on the gospel and the work in their family and your church family for the furtherance of his kingdom. We're excited for this opportunity for you. We send them along with full assurance that we believe the Lord's in this. Before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, 
as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and the truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our chief aim today, and I pray every single day, whether we're at home, whether we're gathering together after the church, whether we're going to work, I pray that our aim as followers of Christ would be to make much of Jesus. So today is not a day about an individual, it's a day about you, Lord. So I pray that the words that are preached, the claim, the songs that we have sung and will continue to sing will just continue to glorify you in every way. May your name increase and my name decrease. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now like I said, next week we're really going to dive into Colossians words uh, as much as we can in just a few short weeks. You'll learn as we kind of get going. There's a lot here. and There's no way we're going to be able to cover it all. Um, this is a very dear, dear letter and book to me. It's really helped me uh, over the last uh, many years. I'm applying it to my life and seeing what it says over and over again. Uh, but today I want to look at one particular phrase. The, the grace of God in truth. And here's two reasons why. The first we're going to be referencing this phrase quite a bit over the next few weeks. And, and addressing it now in just a little bit more depth at this moment will provide a little bit of clarity as we kind of move forward in definition to what Paul's referencing here uh, so that we're all on the same page when we're coming to it. We, we don't want one person thinking one thing or another person thinking another. It's really good for us to, to get our definitions right and to be on the same page. There's nothing worse than having a conversation with someone. And we can all attest to this both. If you're, if you're talking about something or talking about someone and you think that you're, you're referencing that something or someone then you realize that you're not referencing that same thing or someone, you're both referring to something totally different, husbands and wives you can say amen and, and understand, like, well, you have no idea what we're talking about, oh, you have no idea what, like, you think you're saying the same thing it's kind of just frustrating, all this is bring confusion so, so communication clarity, definition, those things are important um, and so that's what we want to look at today, just kind of clarify what we're talking about here. And I, I don't like to assume, I think that one of our biggest faults as human beings, is as pastors especially, is that we can assume things. So I'm not going to assume that you have a healthy understanding of the gospel. I'm just going to lay out the gospel over and over and over and over again. And we're just going to build on that over and over and over again uh, together. And then you're going to help build me up in that. And I'm going to help hopefully build you up in that. And we're going to do that together. But number two, I think this is the perfect place to start our ministry here at Harvest Point because, uh, because of the cultural context and that we find ourselves living. The, the cultural period of time we find ourselves in. Because... What we see when we look at the end of verse 5 is the word of truth, the gospel. And the end of verse 6, the grace of God in truth. There's a clear emphasis by Paul being made here, being placed upon the word truth. And there's a reason for that. 
Primarily because Paul's writing to a church that has false teaching and deceit and various philosophies, philosophies and plausible arguments, all kind of coming in and kind of from every single direction, corrupting, distorting, kind of confusing the beliefs of the Colossians of their understanding of God and the gospel. And he doesn't want this to happen. He doesn't want them confused by the truth of God. He's making the point here. Over and over and over again throughout this letter. Truth matters. Truth matters. The truth that he's focused on here is the gospel. We really want to know truth, brothers and sisters. But real truth. I know we live in this day of relativity. We're going to look at it in a second. Real truth is found. Gospel. This is why I can't think of a better book or letter to start with, because again, we live in this day where truth of all things is considered to be relative. You may even be here today and think, I don't really believe in absolute truth. Because we have people all the time, you may be one who says it and says, you know what? That may be true for you, but it's not true for me. That may be right for you, but that, that's not right for me. Or you hear things, or people hear things from the Old Testament, New Testament, Bible truths that are coming forth, and they say things like, well, they, they hear something about God that they, they don't necessarily agree with, or something they don't like, or something that kind of makes them feel a little uncomfortable, and, ah! and they say, I, I can't believe in a God like that. Like, like that. Like the one on that page of scripture. I, I can't believe in that. So what we have is a culture defining God, or, or better stated, creating a God to fit to their beliefs, to their comforts, their desires, kind of like going to a buffet. Hey, take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that, and eh, don't want that. Uh, that, that, that. That's not good. I, then they just pick and choose what they want to believe about God to make them feel comfortable about themselves. Failing to understand God for who he really is, how he has revealed himself to be, who he has revealed himself to be. God clearly says in Scripture, I am who I am. Basically, I be who I be. I am who I am. And our culture says, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. They're like, this is who I am. Eh, I'm not too sure about that. It's like me coming to you today and saying, hi, my name's Jeremy. I love coffee. I'm a huge Kentucky basketball and football fan. And you say, nah, I'm pretty sure you're into coffee. You don't like coffee? And uh, you don't like Kentucky sports. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't understand. I, I introduce myself to you. I'm, I'm revealing truths about myself to you. I like this charity. I like coffee, like really good coffee, not cheap kind. I like really good coffee. And, and I, I, I love Kentucky sports. You're like, eh, no. What does this mean? Going up and pointing out, hey, there's a 50 pound rock wall. Right. But now I think there's a cat. <laughs> really? It's absurdity, isn't it? It's total absurdity. But this is the world we live in. This is happening all around us. People say one thing, eh, I don't think that's right. I'm going to call it this. 
It makes absolutely no sense. Again, but this is the world we live in, and this is the reason it's so important for we as the church to realize truth matters. Truth matters. And here's why. Because all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. So what Paul is telling the Colossians is this. Truth, real truth, can only be found in and through the gospel. That's it. To understand the truth of the grace of God, to understand the truth of the gospel, means we must do four things. One, we must understand who God is. Not how culture defines it, but how he defines himself in Scripture. We need to understand who God is as he's defined himself in Scripture. Two, we need to understand who we are according to the truth of God found in his word. You want to really know who you are? You want to really know why humanity is the way it is? Let's look to the Scriptures. That's where the truth is found. Number three, we must understand that God, what God has accomplished in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his Son. You really want to make sense of this world? You really want to know how to have hope for tomorrow? We need to know Christ. And fourthly, if we understand these truths, they're not only going to shape how we understand God, though they will, they are going to help shape how we view and live life. Because the gospel isn't something we just believe in once and then dismiss. We'll just dismiss it. No. It's not just for unbelievers. We often think this way that the gospel is just means of evangelism. It is, but it's so much more. It's us waking up and preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. Reflecting on who God is, who we are, what Christ has done. And it totally shapes how we think, act, and react to the world around us. It's massive. So quickly, what is the gospel? This is brief. What is the gospel? What is the grace of God in truth? You can look at it kind of in the four parts, four different ways. You've probably heard this numerous times. It's not original with me in any way, shape, or form. God, man, Christ, response. Just understand that. God, man, Christ, response. Okay? Who is God? How has he revealed himself? Well, Scripture tells us all throughout Scripture, God reveals himself to us as creator. It get this. He created everything out of nothing. Try Everything out of absolutely nothing. He did it for his glory. It's amazing to see we see that he has eternally existed and is a triune God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do we know these things? Because he has revealed them to us in his word. We find out he's holy. He's set apart. He's separate from all the rest of his creation. He is perfect in every single avenue of his being, his existence. We continue to look through scripture and we see that he is faithful, he is just, he is merciful. He's gracious, he's loving. We can go on and on and on and on. And the only reason that we can go on and on and on and on and on about these things is because the scriptures reveal them to us. It's like me telling you that I like coffee and that I like Kentucky basketball. You don't know that unless I somehow reveal that to you. 
we don't know any of these truths about God unless He chose, but since the fact that He has chosen to reveal them to us. It is think about that, brothers and sisters. The God of the universe has chosen to reveal these truths about Himself to us so that we might know them. And then we move on to, to man, to humanity. The pinnacle of God's creation. You think you're here today, and I don't know everyone's background clearly, but I'm, I'm betting there are some of you here today that you might be having a battle with a little depression. It might not even be a little bit of depression. You're, you're really struggling right now. You're struggling with confidence, struggling with self worth, you're, you're struggling with your identity of who you are, what your purpose is. You created the image of God. You have events. You have. But we live in a fallen, broken world. We were people that were designed to live as God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. And we have fallen massively, massively cataclysmically short. It's through Adam's transgression, transgression of Genesis chapter 3, sin into the world. Death, both physical and spiritual, became of God. All of us, all of humanity, is now completely corrupted by sin. Both by the imputed sin from, from Adam and our sin nature and our just deliberate sin actions. We sin against a holy God every single day. We sin. And as such, we are separated from God. This holy, transcendent, gorgeous, and beautiful, perfect God, we are separated from Him. And we deserve His wrath. We see the tragic effects of sin all around us. Life's big questions. Why does pain and suffering exist? Why does evil exist? Why does death exist? Why does cancer exist? Why does depression exist? Why, 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 why? Trace it all back to Genesis chapter 3. Trace it back to the fall. And if we stop there, Stop Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. You're like, ah, oh, there's no hope. We stop at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. They're like, ah, oh, there's no hope. But the Bible doesn't stop there. There's a verse 21 in Romans chapter 3. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, made known apart from the law. He's been made known in Christ. There is like the greatest button in all the Bible is now Christ. And we see here that this is the grace of God and truth divine, Christ. And Paul, so eloquent, so beautiful, just lays out. You want to know who God is, brothers and sisters? Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Look there with me. And he says, This is who God is. This is how who Christ is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
for the thrones, for dominions, for rulers, for authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It is created for him. And he is before all things and in him. All things hold together. Like everything's holding together right now because of Christ. And he is the head of the body, the church. I mean, like Patrick, not Brian, not any other pastor in this world. Christ is the head of the body. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. In some things, in everything, that he might be preeminent. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace. How does he make peace? By the blood of his cross. Holy God. Sinful man. You want to talk about mercy? You want to talk about grace? We deserve God's wrath and his sentence, Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life we were to live. Died the death that we deserve to to reconcile us, his church, to himself for his glory. Praise be. Deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of his son. That's grace. It's grace, grace, grace. But if you don't know these truths today, if you don't know your standing with Christ today, believe. Believe these truths. Which leads us to our fourth spot response. We're going to look at these truths, hopefully for the rest of our lives, the weeks and months and years to We're going to explore, we're going to study, we're going to learn. We're never going to stop hopefully the Lord to understand these truths. We will never, ever, ever be able to fall in the depths of the riches of the truths of the grace of God. If we would, it would make us believe. And we cannot do that. But I pray, I pray that we will try. With everything that is within us to, to know God, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. And it gives us clarity and insight. This world we find ourselves living. Because I don't have to tell you things. It's pretty obvious. The times in which we live in, they're complicated. Seems like every season of life has its seasons of complications, but we're getting this one. This is the one that we're focused on. And it's complicated. You, you know how difficult your life is. You know how you know the fears that you have for your children. Fears that you never would have thought about before you had children, but now you have fears of thinking they've got to grow up in this. They have to face this. You know these things. You know how real your pain and your struggles are. And what you don't need, what we don't need, somebody come around with a bunch of warm fuzzies. It's kind of packed on the back and say, it's going to be okay. Just keep smiling, keep pressing forward, it's all going to work out. Need the truth. And yes, sometimes the truth hurts. When you present the gospel to somebody, 
to somebody else. We're talking about who God is. By the way, you're a sinner who deserves hell. You deserve God's wrath. That's offensive. <laughs> when you're told that you are in offense to God, that you have transgressed God, that is offensive. It's going to hurt. But then comes the good news. The grace of God is found in Christ. That's hope. Point to Christ. <laughs> People need the truth. We need the grace of God and the truth. Because believing the gospel doesn't just reconcile us to God, but that's fair. That's huge. We need to be reconciled to God. But it also, when we think about these truths, it changes how we do life. It changes how we do marriage. It changes how we understand sexuality, how we raise our children, how we engage with the culture, how we engage with social and political issues. It changes how we do church. Because it all comes back to the scripture. It helps us to see the world clearly. It helps us to see the world biblically. And that's what we want to do. Because truth matters. So my, my philosophy of ministry is really pretty simple. I'm not the guy who comes in with grandiose ideas and expectations. And, well, I may have expectations, but I, I don't have this grandiose kind of master plan. I mean, it's pretty simple. Mobilize, equip, and sing. Mobilize, equip, and sing. It's kind of it's a circular thing. If it's not one, one, two, three, then go do it. It's constant. It's always going to be working this way out. We're going to mobilize together. Come together as a faith family. Like, we have to admit, and I've gathered this thus far in my conversation, nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody ever will be. We're a bunch of Sinners who hopefully all of us, if not all of us, more of us will eventually come to be saved by the grace of God. Our commonality is Christ. If we are the church, we, our commonality is Christ. We are united together in the gospel. If we admit we are broken, messed up, and we And we want to do life together. Oh, I have you in our home. We want to be able to come and come to your home. We want to go out and have lunch. Like, I think we're going to go to Panera Bread or somewhere after church. Let's just call it Panera Bread. I'm going to Panera Bread after church today. If you want to come to Panera Bread, we'll be there. Let's go and just have lunch together after service today. All right? We look forward to that. We want to be able to have fun, do fellowships, go to D.C., go out, show us stuff around. We want to be and have family together. When you're having difficulties, Get together with other members of the body and work through those. When you're having celebrations, let's celebrate together. So we mobilize, we, we come together as a faith family. And in that process, while we're doing messed up life together, we're equipping one another to think biblically, to understand, to defend the faith, to understand the truths of the gospel. Iron, sharpening iron, as we're coming alongside one another. There's nothing wrong with sitting down and watching the basketball game and then say, by the way, oh, this is how we can connect the conversation about the gospel. Right, rises up. We're talking about parenting uh, at the table. And we're like, how in the world do I deal with this? And, and you start working together with one another. You're equipping to think and to act biblically through a biblical worldview. And then what do we do? We stick you out with the gospel every single day. It's not just we come to a point where you graduate class and you send them out. I mean, you, you send out today. When you live here, you're, you're being sent out. You're going to have conversations. You're going to come to the dinner table. How do you answer that? 
I'm not really sure how I answer that. So you come back to the equipment side. Let's figure that out. Let's help you here. I'm struggling. Let's go back to the mobilizing side. Like, it's constantly working out. We're going to send you out locally, globally, your workplace, your home, everywhere, together to make much of Jesus. And I pray in this type of environment that we're in, community, where people, some of you will, you'll be here the rest of your lives. Lord willing, we That's who we want to be here for the rest of our lives. Some of you, you're going to be here for a year, two years, three years, and your job's going to move you somewhere else. When that happens, we want a condition to send you. We want to equip you while you're here to make it an even deeper impact wherever you go. Lord willing, some of you are, are, are going to be called overseas to serve internationally. Maybe the Lord's going to raise up church planters out of this group. We're going to be able to plant more churches. But we're going to do it together. Mobilize, equip, and save. And we're going to be gathered together by the gospel. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Harvest Point. I thank you for bringing us here. I'm beyond excited about what you have in store for this body. I'm thankful to have even a small part in it. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship this morning, as we sing the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would help our minds and hearts reflect upon your word, reflect upon who you are, who we are, what Christ has done, and what we glorify in everything we say in Jesus' name.